Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin of Mishkin Law in Chicago, uh, today in lovely St. Louis with my family, uh, laying down this show for you all to listen to, and um, we're going to be mostly focusing on the dead today, uh, but uh, today is a significant day and we can't let it go without honoring it, so Dan, dive right in for us, please. channel this is the grateful dead uh the deadhead cannabis show and that of course is Jimi hendrix that's one of the most well-recognized uh openings of a rock tune out there uh just hard charging dramatic rock and roll the way jimmy laid it out foxy lady uh which was on his album are you experienced uh from uh, about 1967 and everybody recognizes this it's distinctive not everybody can necessarily put their finger on it being jimmy but if you were listening to fm radio at all uh in the 1970s and of course uh have even the little bit of uh rock and roll experience uh, just from having gone to college or something it would be hard to have missed uh, anything from jimmy uh, especially foxy lady so, you know you're walking down the hall in a dormitory and you hear it halfway down the hall and, and everybody comes running to see what's going on unfortunately for us 53 years ago today September 18th, 1970, we lost Jimmy. Basically, uh, not an overdose, but he asphyxiated on his own vomit, uh, aspirated, excuse me, on his own vomit and died of asphyxia uh, while intoxicated with barbiturates. Um, We all heard the stories of Jimmy's excesses, uh, including the legendary stories of uh, soaking his bandana in liquid LSD and then wrapping it around his head so that as he sweat and his pores opened, he was sucking in all the LSD and uh, taking us all to uh, crazy places with his music. And so uh, we certainly want to acknowledge him today. Uh, and, uh, for those of us who, you know, came into our rock and roll consciousness, uh, not too long after Jimmy died, um, you know, there's certainly a sense of, boy, we just missed, uh, maybe the greatest uh, rock and roll guitar player of all time, uh, left-handed, just out there shredding constantly and, um, just a force of nature. Um, unfortunately for all of us, Jimmy was part of the infamous 27 club, 
uh, a whole string of rock and roll legends uh, who have died at the age of 27. And uh, it's a, it's a it list that, you know, sometimes feels like it's getting longer and longer, but it includes Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones, Alan Wilson of Canned Heat, Jim Morrison from The Doors, of course, Janice, Kurt Cobain of Nirvana, and uh, another left-handed guitar legend, Pigpen, our boy Pigpen, Rod McKernan, who we talk about all the time, and uh, he was 27 when he died. More recently, Amy Winehouse was 27 when she died. Uh, Dave Alexander from the Stooges, who played with Iggy Pop, and uh, Peter Ham of Badfinger are just, uh, there's more names uh, on this list, and for some reason, 27 just seemed to uh, attract in a, a lot of these people, and yes, of course, uh, it pulled Jimmy right along with them. Uh, he probably created three of the most famous albums in rock and roll, Are You Experienced, that this song we were just listening to, Foxy Lady, came off of, Axis Bold as Love, and uh, Electric Ladyland. And, um, uh, you know, it's funny how people kind of work their way up the ladder of, of music in uh, every generation, my kids and, uh, you know, people who are uh, in, the, in the sandwich generation between me and my kids. Uh, everybody's heard of Jimi Hendrix. Everybody makes their way through Jimi Hendrix. Everybody goes out and buys a Jimi Hendrix poster and has some period of time where Jimi Hendrix is just jamming out as we all recognize, oh my God, look what we've discovered. And the beauty of Jimi and a lot of these guys is when you hear it, you can think like you've discovered it for the first time. And then when you go out on the internet and you start looking around, you realize, no, not only did I not discover it for the first time, uh, but there's everything I need out here to, to, to dive right into this and become uh, a Jimmy legend myself. So uh, we uh, give Jimmy a shout out today, a recognition that is uh, well-deserved and um, we're all sorry that we missed him. And uh, we'll go and listen to some Jimmy today to, to make us all feel better and not to forget this, uh, this rock and roll legend. Uh, The Grateful Dead, you might be wondering how all of this fits in, uh, really love Jimmy's birthday, uh, excuse me, uh, the anniversary of his death. In fact, they played a show on September 18th, 1970. That was a uh, show the night that Jimmy died. Um, unfortunately, uh, it was at the Fillmore East, but I'm, I'm guessing that back in that time, the uh, uh, modern convenience of the internet, so you know things two minutes after they happened, was not available. Uh, and it's, it's questionable whether even as they were performing that night, the dead were aware uh, that Jimmy had died. They knew Jimmy. They had shared stages with Jimmy. Um, didn't really play a whole lot with Jimmy and never really played a whole lot of Jimmy music themselves. I think we, we had a clip in there a while back where, where, where uh, Jerry came out one night and was doing a little Jimmy riff, but it was just, you know, one of his, hey, I'm noodling around here and this is the, the, the tune that's that's popped into my brain, so I'm going to just jam on it for a minute. No singing, no nothing. But then the show we are going to feature today, uh, flash, flash forward ahead 20 years to September 18th, 1990, the dead are back in New York, this time as part of one of their many MSG runs from that period in their career. And uh, so now it's the 20th anniversary of, uh, of, of Jimi Hendrix passing. And so, of course, this just leads to all sorts of questions about what might the Grateful Dead do on a day like this. And... Uh, the short answer is not a lot as far as Jimmy is concerned, uh, but they came out and played a hell of a show in MSG for anybody who was there. They know, and anybody who follows the dead in those MSG stretches during that period of time uh, knows how good they were. And uh, this one is great with some wonderful, wonderful jamming by the boys that we're going to focus a lot on. And so let's dive right in uh, to our show, September 18th, 1990 from Madison square garden. (laughs) 
that's Minglewood Blues. Minglewood Blues is as old as the Grateful Dead and older than them. And uh, they're playing Minglewood Blues back in the mid-1960s. It's on their original album. It's on the Go to Heaven album. Now they title it the all-new, brand-new, and improved, or whatever they called it, Minglewood Blues. And it was a, uh, a Bobby Standard uh, that would typically show up somewhere around the uh, second, third, or fourth song of the uh first set depending on the order who, who came out and opened and whether they were just doing a single opening tune or a combination opening tune and but it would always be right in that same slot with Little Red Rooster and CC Ryder and they would all just kind of rotate around and you know they were all the same kind of tune in the sense that um, you know even if the boys came out with just an on fire starter and then they kind of slipped into Minglewood Blues not that we didn't like and appreciate Minglewood Blues but it was it was you know such a standard dead tune that you know if they came out and opened with something really unique you might be hoping for something unique and then you just get the uh, the standard Minglewood, but this Minglewood uh, is not your standard Minglewood, as you could easily hear during this musical jam. Uh, we all love Bobby, but you know today was not a day to be focusing on his singing, but really to be focusing on the music that was being created there. And this show, uh, these series of shows were significant because this was Vince Welnick's uh, introduction to the world of the Deadheads. He had just played his first show with them two nights before on uh, September 7th. Uh, Bruce Hornsby and he were now to their third show with the Grateful Dead, as you recall. Uh, Hornsby came in and played played a series of shows with the dead right around the time that Vince started uh, to kind of help ease Vince into the, uh, to the whole scene and, uh, you know, give him a little backup on the keyboards and everything like that. But Hornsby, of course, is such a unique keyboardist. And when we say keyboardist with Hornsby, we're really basically talking about a grand piano, which was his keyboard of choice. Uh, and of course, uh, we've talked long and hard about how Vince uh, was on an, an electric keyboard, uh, but not the Hammond P3, because inexplicably, Jerry had decided at that point that maybe they'd had enough of the Hammond B3. Hard to imagine Jerry saying that, but that's the way the story goes. So Vince was playing on his, you know, relatively speaking, kind of smaller, much tinier uh, electric keyboard. And I think that, you know, the band all felt that uh, Bruce had, had, had jammed with them before. He knew their tunes. He was a big fan. They knew Bruce. And, it, you know, it would be good to have him along. But uh, if you're a fan in Madison Square Garden that night, none of that matters. All you know is you've got Vince Welnick up there, you know, doing his best as he as he breaks in. And you got Bruce Hornsby. And, and that Minglewood Blues, to hear Bruce's piano just come shining through, um, you know, he really steps in and becomes part of the jam. Uh, Jerry gives him the freedom to do it. And uh, it, it's just, uh, it, it's great to hear. And then, of course, uh, as, as Bruce's jam dies down, the band comes crashing back in. And, you know, it's nights like this and, and different different versions, right? We always say they never play the same song twice. Well, sometimes they kind of play it close to the same. But this was a, a Minglewood that really stood out for a lot of those reasons. And it's just, uh, it, it's great when you get guys like Hornsby um, who can step right in and Vince Welnick, who was, you know, learning his chops at that moment. And they just fit so naturally into this whole uh, on uh, on stage conversation that the boys are having that we all hear as these wonderful musical jams, and that was really really a uh, a good one. Now, this next song that I want to uh, feature here really quickly before we dive into some other stuff, uh, many people say may be the song of the night, and uh, it, it it's such a strong. Uh, Jerry Toon and his lyrics and singing voice are so great uh, that you'll see this one. We've kind of bypassed the jam just right into the uh, the meat of the song, but as soon as you hear it, you'll know why. Till then. 
is just one of those beautiful, 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 beautiful uh, uh, songs that the dead play, uh, that Jerry plays, Robert Hunter tune that they uh, obviously came up with together and that we all know and love so much. Jerry's vocals are so beautiful here, and you can hear the crowd reaction uh, that on this one we really had to go with the vocals. It's a nine-minute version of one of Jerry and Robert Hunter's prettiest ballads. Uh, when Jerry's vocals are on like this, uh, you can make a, a very strong argument, you know, that actually it may be one of the best uh, tunes that they ever put together. Uh, to Lay Me Down, uh, you know, to Deadheads, quote unquote, in the know, is also a special tune because it's one of the magical trio of lyrics, if you will, composed in a single afternoon in 1970 in London over a uh, half bottle of uh, Retsina. Uh, and according to Robert Hunter, he sat down that day, and as he drank his bottle uh, sitting in London, uh, this song came tumbling out uh, right along with Ripple and Broke Down Palace. So um, what a day, right? I mean, any of us, we go to work and have a day like that, and just amazing. To get that type of creative flow uh, in one sitting is, is just incredible. So, you know, clearly uh, we're talking here, you know, really almost at their peak uh, Robert Hunter and Jerry putting it all together, and uh, Hunter uh, wrote about this in, in his in the book, the complete annotated Grateful Dead lyrics. It said, "And I wrote a ream of bad songs, bitching about everything under the sun, which I kept to myself. Cast not thy swines before pearls, and once in a while something would sort of pop out of nowhere. The sunny London afternoon I wrote broke down to lay me down in ripple. All keepers was in no way typical, but it remains in my mind as the personal." quintessence of the union between writer and muse, a promising past and a bright future, prospects melding into one great glowing, uh, I'm not even going to try with the word they used here, never mind, <laughs> one big glowing effort in South Kensington, writing words that seem to flow like molten gold onto parchment paper, and uh, just amazing, um, and, and such a beautiful song, and you know when the fans hear it, they react so strongly to it. And, uh, you know, well, they should, because it's just really uh, one of those tunes that makes you feel good, um, makes you appreciate the genius of uh, Robert Hunter, and it makes you appreciate the uh, absolutely incredible multi-talents of Jerry Garcia, both to be able to play the song so beautifully and to be able to sing it so beautifully. And uh, it's just such a fun one to have and such a great example of it like that. And especially on a day, uh, you know, as you'll hear on a lot of the other stuff that we're still going to play here, uh, just jamming things out like nobody's business. Now, uh, for those of us that like to think um, that the uh, the Grateful Dead are paying attention to what's going on around them, To Lay Me Down would, of course, be a, a beautiful song to play on the anniversary of anybody's passing, let alone Jimi Hendrix. But, of course, the dead being the dead, uh, there wasn't anything where they got up to the microphone and said, hey, today's the 20th anniversary of Jimmy's death, so we're going to play this song in his memory or anything. They just played it. but And, and maybe they just decided to play it uh, without even thinking about that. But, you know, for those of us who like to think that there's 
no real coincidences when it comes to a Grateful Dead show. Um, I like to at least think that uh, whatever inspired Jerry to play this today had to do with, in part at least, to the sense that it was a, a historical day in the world of rock and roll, an era of rock and roll in which Jerry and the band really came came into being and, and, and really, uh, you know, came to life. They were at Woodstock with Jimmy and they were at all these places with Jimmy and they knew him and, uh, well, I just like to think that Jerry was uh, was thinking about that kind of stuff. So who knows? In the meantime, uh, we've got uh, just so much great music going on in the world right now, folks, that uh, I, I just can't go the entire episode because some of it is so much that, you know, you start to get to that moment where you even hyperventilate a little bit. And you're like, oh, my God, look at all this great music coming down the line. How am I ever going to be able to make it to all of this? And of course, inevitably, um, unless you're my good buddy, Alex, you don't make it to all of it. And, um, you know, you make it to as many as you can and then get the stories from everybody else who were at the shows you weren't at. You give them the stories of the shows they weren't at. And we all read about it in today's wonderful world of um, uh, YouTube uh, within you know 24 hours, if not sooner, uh, we can be experiencing uh, the music in the moments ourselves. Not quite the same as when you're in that uh, concert hall or outside on a big field and uh, you know, you, you sense what's happening and, and, you know, you say, oh my God, here I am on this great moment. Uh, but nevertheless, it's much better to be able to do this than to have heard somebody tell you about the show and, you know, hope over a course of a few months that you can find somebody with a tape and that it'll be decent quality. Uh, you know, we just go boom right there and, and, and we turn on and, and, and we get it right away. And oh my God, um, you know, is there music uh, for us to talk about? Uh, yesterday, the um, uh, Borderlands Music Festival out in East Aurora, New York, wrapped up. And that was a hell of a weekend for people who could make it out that way with, uh, uh, in addition to uh, any number of great bands playing, uh, the headliners are, are just outstanding, right? On Friday night, uh, this past Friday night, Goose was the headliner. Saturday night, the Trey Anastasio band was the headliner. And last night it was Mo. And, you know, these are all bands that are, are, are well known on their own and have really established their own footprint in the world of rock and roll uh, and jam band rock and roll. But I think it's fair to say that all of them uh, have a little bit of the Grateful Dead spirit in them and, and inspiration from the Grateful Dead. And a number of the other bands that were playing here this uh, past weekend also have uh, uh, very similar Grateful Dead connections to them uh, one way or another. And they're all, of course, known for their uh, uh, jamming styles and uh, the things that make us love the dead and the whole vibe and the whole scene um, are Craig producer Dan Humiston's son, Jamie, uh, made it to Borderlands, which is just uh, a few minutes outside of the Buffalo, New York area, as we said, in East Aurora. And on our show next week, uh, Jamie's going to join us and he's going to give us a little bit of uh, insight as to what went down at Borderland, uh, the music, the whole scene. And uh, it's always nice to hear from somebody who was there. Uh, to really get the scoop on what's going on, which is the way this works, right? When you can't be there, but somebody else was, then you're counting on them to be able to pass along the good vibes and let you know uh, both, you know, what you missed and what the, the highlights were and, and all that kind of stuff. And so we'll look forward to uh, uh, Jamie coming on the show and sharing that with us next week. So uh, we will look forward to that. Um, of course, if we're really going to talk about uh, what's going on in the world of music, far and away, the biggest, biggest news in the jam band world uh, is that Fish is reinstituting their summer festival scene. They, they haven't really had one, I don't think, since 2015 or 2016. Uh, sorry, kids, I'm not quite adept enough to remember which year it was when the uh, 
the festival curveball that was supposed to be taking place out in the Watkins Glen area in upstate New York uh, had to get canceled because the rain had it had rained so hard that they had uh, um, the water system had, had broken down and they, they couldn't provide fresh water and they couldn't uh, have a system to take away wastewater and they they wound up having to cancel the show. My son Matt and his buddies were all out there and pulled into the parking lot literally of the campground to find out at that moment uh, after they had gotten all the way out there that it was canceled and uh, there were no new festivals canceled after that point in time and then we ran into the pandemic and everything else and uh you know dicks which has been going on out in uh denver over labor day weekend for 12 or 13 years now i think you know for many people kind of has become the de facto summer get together for people who are really interested in you know seeing uh, just a huge amount of fish over uh, a short number of days but uh, kind of out of nowhere is the sense that i get just about uh, a week or two ago the fish dropped a keep the date open uh, for next uh, august out in maryland uh, for fish fest and we don't really have any very many of the details yet uh, that's all being worked out uh, whether anybody else is going to come play with them or not how many sets they're going to do blah 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 but you know of course it'll be a large number of sets because that's the way those guys rock there'll probably be some overlapping sets if there's other talent out there with them and uh you know on any level it just sounds like it's going to be a very exciting time uh talk to my son and and he and his crew were already uh hot at work having secured two rvs because uh, they're now getting to a stage two like their old man where it's a little more comfortable to sleep in a real bed in an rv uh than it is to rough it sleeping out in a campground and although i love sleeping out under the stars or in a tent after uh some good hiking or anything like that uh in a situation like this uh, i'm just going to confess and say that i'm old enough and uh, whatever that the idea of staying in an rv appeals to me a lot more uh, than the idea of camping outside and uh it always helps when you have a son who you share strong interests with because uh apparently i've been invited to join the crew uh, which is very exciting so uh, next August, we will have a lot to talk about with Fish Fest, um, and uh, eventually I'll get the name and be able to call it by the right thing, because I, I just, as I say, it takes me a little bit longer to focus in on all those details uh, than uh, the fish heads themselves. Um, and, and, you know, it's strange because the dead never really had anything like this. The, the, the dead never really had like a long weekend festival. I mean, sure, they'd play Alpine Valley over the course of a weekend, sometimes four nights, and everybody would go up there and camp out at the Alpine Valley ground. So in that respect, it kind of felt like a festival. Um, but it was really just, you know, uh, three or four nights of standard dead shows in a row. Not that there's anything wrong with your standard dead shows. But my impression of the fish festivals is that in addition to uh, sets being set up in a regular show format, that they also drop a few extra in here and there so you really wind up uh you know getting your total fish fix uh over one long weekend now the interesting thing is that it is going to be in august uh and of course that leads to the question of will they then immediately follow up next year uh with their four nights at dick's as well and i guess that remains to be seen um but uh you know there's uh, a lot to be said for that and we'll see just how much energy uh train the boys have and whether uh after keeping everybody happy at a festival for an incredibly long weekend uh they're ready to come back you know in very short time turn around and head back out to commerce city and uh do the dicks thing so we'll see and uh gives us all something to look forward to uh it gives me plenty of time to uh really drill down a little bit more into the uh, fish catalog 
and familiarize myself with some of those fish tunes that uh, aren't regularly getting played because you'd like to also hope that a festival like that, uh, they will dip down into their uh, to their bag of tricks and pull some stuff out uh, that might not be uh, in the front of our minds, or at least guys like me who are just getting into fish and you know now do a pretty good job of recognizing the songs when they start playing them, but still don't really command that overall knowledge and uh, uh sense of where they're going, what they're doing, what they're playing, like you do after, you know, seeing over a hundred dead shows, but I'm making my way up the ladder with fish and fish fest will be a great way to go about doing it. So very excited about that. Um, our friends over at Tedeschi trucks band are just breaking out all over the place. And, um, I don't remember if it's the end of this week or the beginning of next week, uh, where they're going on their uh, their garden tour. Uh, Tedeschi Trucks is doing a night in Boston Garden, where they were where they will be joined by Warren Haynes, and then a night or two later, they're going to be in Madison Square Garden in New York, where they were, where they will be joined by Trey and Nora Jones. Now, either one of those nights sounds just like a fantastic night of music, right? With Warren Haynes, that's Warren and uh, Derek reuniting again. Uh, they were the bulk of the guitar section of the Allman Brothers band. Uh, for most of the last eight to ten years of that band and uh, you know really gave it a whole new life and uh, you know introduced the band to a whole new generation of fans uh, who were a little too young to ever you know really have heard uh, the original almonds and I say that including me because when Dwayne died I think I was 10 years old um, but we had been singing the almonds for a number of years and uh, this was you know far and away after Dwayne uh, the best combination you could get Derek and Warren on the same stage doing their thing. And one would have to believe that, uh, in Boston, uh, at, uh, the Boston garden out there, uh, that those fans are in for a treat and, uh, shouldn't be surprised if they get a little bit of, uh, Allman brothers jamming, uh, and whatever else those two legends like to do together. And then certainly Trey has a history with, uh, Tedeschi trucks, having joined them at Lockin a few years ago, uh, to perform the entire Layla album. Nora Jones has such an incredible voice and, uh, you know, just brings so much more to the table. The opportunity to hear her and Susan Tedeschi maybe harmonizing and, and belting it out together. Uh, and, and of course, Susan's uh, totally uh, first rate guitar chops as well. Uh, they're going to be two shows. They're going to be absolutely amazing. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I think it's probably a little bit much for me to try and get out and see all of those as much as I would like to. Um, but I will be hearing about them as will all of you. And, and we will talk about them and, and look for uh, really tremendous clips that maybe we can share with everybody and, uh, and have some fun with that too. But in the meantime, for folks who can get out there and enjoy it, by all means, go and have a great time. It's going to be wonderful, wonderful shows, I'm sure. Such amazing talent all congregated on one stage. Um, and then we have J-Rad, who just completed their uh, Miracle in Mundelein show uh, a week ago or so. My son Jonathan was there uh, with his fiance Bella, and they had a great time, really loved it. Uh, this was not only great music by J-Rad, uh, but it was the, um, the Miracle in Mundelein was an opportunity for Illinois-licensed uh, marijuana dispensaries to come and be able to set up shop and sell their marijuana on site and you could come and buy their marijuana and smoke it on site. This is the first time in Illinois we've had an on-site consumption rule that allowed this to happen. Uh, unfortunately, uh, my wife and I had a uh, very important family obligation to go to uh, 
a wedding of some dear, dear friends of ours. And uh, we were not able to join in on the fun, uh, but we heard great things about it. And the silver lining for me was when I got to the wedding and sitting there kind of miserable thinking, look at all these people sitting here at the wedding. None of them even realize that Tedeschi Trucks is, uh, excuse me, the J-Rad is playing, that this show is going on up at the Miracle in Mundelein. What's a guy to do? Well, in that situation, a guy is you have to walk around for a few minutes and you're bound to bump into Danny. And Danny knows everybody under the sun uh, from the Bronx, went to Syracuse, good, good friends with my uh, very real fake cousin, Eric, from Philadelphia. And Danny was a breath of fresh air, man. And, and this crowd of people who I all love, they're all wonderful people, but none of them are very jam bandy or, or, or cannabis related. Uh, there was Danny and we had quite the night, uh, like many deadheads do when you meet another deadhead, you know, who's basically from your age and your background in terms of uh, having been exposed to all of it. And right down the list of our favorite dead songs, our favorite dead shows, our favorite dead cover bands from top to bottom. Now Danny's been added to the list of very cool people in my life uh, who uh, share the things that I share and and the, the music that I love. And we had a good time kind of joking about it a little bit, you know, that here was a couple of, uh, you know, hip, cool deadheads among all these. I don't like to use the word squares because these are lovely people. Um, but, you know, like I say, people who never quite made the leap over to the jam band side of life. But Danny's great. And so shout out to Danny, who now lives in Ann Arbor. And, um, uh, look forward to getting up there to see him, see a football game, uh, check out Grateful Dead Night in Ann Arbor, which he was kind enough to send me some clips for last week. Uh, so, Danny, great to meet you, man. Look forward to finally catching a show with you one of these days. And uh, the world works in mysterious ways, and we really love that. So, uh, Miss J-Rad met Danny. So, overall, it was a plus night for me. And now J-Rad's just announced that they're coming back to do two shows at the Riv again, the Riviera Nightclub here in Chicago on the north side of the city on uh, December 1st and 2nd. Uh, the only problem is right now the tickets appear to be coming out very expensive, uh, in excess of $200 if you want to sit upstairs and get a seat. Uh, well over $100, $150 uh, to get a general admission. And that's before you get into all of the other crap that they throw on their charges and all of that. And on the one hand, I get it. And I say, hey, look, J-Rad's made the big time. A lot of people want to see him. And, uh, you know, they got to cash in. On the other hand, you know, say, what a bummer. J-Rad's made it big time. So now tickets have gotten expensive. But uh, the wife and I grabbed our tickets for Saturday night because price be damned if J-Rad's coming to town, uh, we have to catch them at least one of the nights. And, uh, doing that and, and, and so looking forward uh, to having the opportunity to see J-Rad, of course, uh, even before that, Fish is coming here in October and uh, very, very, very excited to catch the Fish shows at the United Center in October. Um, Dark Star Orchestra is doing uh, a show or two up in Milwaukee at the Paps Theater in November. Uh, that's close enough to me that uh, that's a possibility. I'll make it up there for one night, maybe even see good buddy Ronnie up in the Milwaukee area and uh, catch a night of DSO. I know they love Milwaukee and they love the Paps Theater. So that's probably as good a place as any to see them uh, if you can't catch them at Martyrs here on the north side of the city in Chicago, um, where they really basically got their start. So maybe their home home court, if you will. Uh, but they have a special affinity for Milwaukee and always play great, great shows uh, when they get up there. So that's what's going on in the music scene, folks. It's just, it's coming in fast and furious. And uh, you really got to stay on top of it. Uh, for me, that means being buddies with Alex because he usually knows what's going on before I do. Or with uh, my son's buddy, Kevin, who also is right on top of things. He was the one leading the charge for the RVs for Fish Fest. So uh, uh, just very excited about that. You know, and the nice thing is I'm going with all of them. They're all fish experts, so I can just kind of go along for the ride and don't have to sweat all the details. I'm sure they got that all figured out. 
uh, as does uh, Fun and Cool Cousins, who we will be going to the show with as well. Uh, Susie and her husband, Sky, uh, will be joining us, hopefully, at Fish Fest from California. And um, just many cool people. Uh, and really looking forward to having an opportunity to see some great music and, and hang out with some cool folks. So great live music all around. And uh, if you even just catch one or two of any of these shows, you'll be so happy that you did. And, and, and such a great opportunity uh, to really get in there and, and jam with people and just have some fun. Um, speaking of fun, let's turn back here to our show, uh, that we're featuring from September 18th, 1990 and, um, 33 years ago today. And, uh, let's dive into our next song, a song they play all the time, a little Chuck Berry. It's a great tune. It's one of my favorite Chuck Berry tunes that they play. You can never really get tired of it. But a night like this, man, when they're just jamming and rocking, I love that. You know, sometimes they play through the song pretty perfunctory and just kind of, you know, uh, brief jam here, brief jam there. Uh, but but not on this night. They're, they're taking the opportunity to rock everything out and uh, just love that sound and the way they do it and uh, uh, how they play it out. And it uh, just really adds to the overall theme of the show. Again, a little spirit of Jimmy in there with all the great jamming that they're doing. Uh, Jerry really picking it up and going hard with it. Uh, the boys on the keyboards uh, filling in very nicely and really, really makes for a great version of Promised Land. Um, and, you know, when you're at the show and they're doing it, that's all you can ever ask for is we, we know you're going to play this song. You play it a lot, jam out on it, and, and we love to hear it. And, uh, put a smile on our face. So uh, a great promised land for, for a, a great show. Um, one thing that I did want to go back and touch on very quickly before we uh, continue to explore this uh, wonderful world of the Grateful Dead, um, but in the in the, uh, the vein of music that we're talking about is that uh, producer Dan is always on the lookout uh, for great music out there. And he has discovered a whole uh, uh, 
vein, if you will, of great tribute bands and great cover bands. And we've talked about a few of them, uh, but the latest one of the day is Meatloaf, M-E-E-T-L-O-A-F, as opposed to the standard Meatloaf, spelled like the food your mom used to make for you on Tuesday nights. Dan drove over to Colorado Springs uh, to see Meatloaf perform this past weekend. And Dan's uh, review of it is that they were just awesome. He's Dan's always been a big Meatloaf fan. Who hasn't been? Uh, Bad Out of Hell is a great all-time tune. It, it's it's Bad Out of Hell is a great tune. It's a great album. Uh, Paradise by the Dashboard Light with Phil the Scooter Rizzuto doing the play-by-play over the radio. Uh, the whole double entendre thing going on there. And uh, then, of course, Meatloaf is in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And uh, it was really bigger than life, both in terms of his physical presence and the impact that he left on uh uh, rock and roll, but this meatloaf is a husband and wife team, the Resonance people, uh, Benny Resonance and his wife Ariel. Um, and per Dan, you close your eyes and you think you're you're, you're actually listening uh, to Meatloaf. Benny and Ariel are from Florida; they're on tour year round. Uh, so the next time they come through Chicago, uh, we will have to uh, uh, jump out and catch them, and uh, you know be able to give uh, a deadhead perspective on on this Meatloaf and uh, whether they pass the test. But I'm I'm going to put my money on Dan if he says that they sound like the real thing. Uh, so look, and we may uh, try and uh, drop a link or something to their schedule so that if uh, anybody out there wants to check them out, uh, please go go do it. And if you like them, let us know. And uh, we always like to uh, feature Dan's musical tastes on this show, too, and hard not to when they combine with all of ours anyway. So uh, Meatloaf, M-E-E-T-L-O. Oh, Dan is telling us even better. We're 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 gonna uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna get an opportunity to experience uh, Meatloaf right here. Go for it, Dan. Let's hear him. I have to say, Dan, you are right. Um, if you hadn't told me, and I'm just sitting here listening, I would say, who who put on Bad Out of Hell? What are we listening to here? But no, it's uh, it's just Benny and Ariel doing their thing. So yeah, they sound great. Uh, look for a link, and if they're coming by, uh, this is a band you want to see. Dan, as always, thanks for sharing with us, and uh, we will always look forward to the stuff you have for us because uh, uh, it's just a lot of fun, and, and uh, that's what this show is all about, if nothing else, right? Making sure uh, that we get to see all the cool things that are going on and, uh, and and have some fun with music all together. Before we dive into our cannabis talk for the day, um, I do want to just uh, dip back uh, into our show here one more time um, because this next jam that we're going to listen to is one that I really, really love, and it kind of was surprising all the all the uh, attention it's gotten. But when you listen to it, it's it's, it's really worthwhile. So uh, let's hit it.
So everybody recognizes the tune. It's Foolish Heart. It was one of the uh, dad's, you know, quote unquote, newer tunes uh, from the late 80s and into the 90s and, and, and on from there. But what we're playing here is something that's very unique because uh, it, it, it has its own name. This isn't just Foolish Heart. This is the jam out of Foolish Heart. It's such a distinctive uh, jam uh, that it got a lot of attention. It was included in the Grateful Dead's original box set that came out in 98 or 99. So many rows. It was a five-disc set that, you know, purported to kind of track their whole history. Each each one of the discs uh, represented a separate time slot in the Dead's career. Um, and with some of the newer stuff like uh, this, the uh, the jam out of Foolish Heart, uh, rather than you know featuring the song itself, they featured the jam on this uh, So Many Roads box set. And even at the time, I remember listening to it and thinking, well, you know, Foolish Heart is one of the newer tunes and not that we didn't like it, but, you know, it didn't carry the same weight as some of the others. And they weren't even featuring the tune. They were featuring the jam out of the tune. Guess what? The jam out of the tune is just fantastic. And this is just one of those examples where, you're at a dead show one night. They're playing what, you know, my all accounts appears to be a quote unquote standard set for the dead, meaning all of their tunes and they may all be great, but they're not necessarily, you know, pulling out a diamond in the rough or something like that. And then you get this jam just out of nowhere for whatever reason, this night coming out of foolish heart, the boys just decided to jam away again, another, uh, Jimi Hendrix thing, who knows, uh, but in a night of jams, uh, this one may have stood out just because of how well-known it became, uh, really to have its own complete identity, and, um, uh, you know, it, it just represents, I think, the band at their improvisational best, right? If you start to listen to it even just a little bit farther, you get some strong other one foreshadowing, uh, which ultimately plays out as advertised, because after the this jam, they go into really strong drums, a funky space, and uh, the whole second set just kind of rolls along after that right into uh, the other one. So it's a great night to be in Madison Square Garden seeing the boys. And, uh, you know, who knew that you were going to see a famous jam that night, but yet you did. And those of us that weren't there get to listen to it forever. Uh, just another example of them really coming out and, and, and giving their all um, and, and, and making the evening special for people uh, who took the time to be there. So uh, just a tremendous show. Um, from 33 years ago in Madison Square Garden. And we will still get back to it for, for one more tune, but now it is time to turn uh, to the other side of our coin here uh, after some strong Grateful Dead work. Let's get into the wonderful world of cannabis, Dan. Uh, that dad keeping right in the theme of things today with Jimmy and Purple Haze. You know, uh, excuse me while I kiss the sky. Um, yes, I, I think that uh, uh, people who have uh, had a, a peak experience on marijuana uh, may have had that before. Although I think by the time we were listening to that, we were all associating it uh, um, with something else just besides marijuana. Um, as you recall at the beginning, we talked about Jimmy and his headbands. Uh, but yeah, Jimmy's a, Jimmy's the man. He was a partying guy and uh, he was the soundtrack for many an early bong session uh, back in the Mary Markley and Alice Lloyd dormitory days at the University of Michigan in the 1980s, and perhaps even some uh, some fun sessions up at the radio station 
in uh, Eagle River, Wisconsin, uh, where uh, our good buddy Bono, long before there was a Bono uh, associated with U2, this was the original Bono from Columbus, and uh, he would always spin magical music for us and uh, up in his radio station there, and it was not uncommon for us uh, to have a little jimmy while we were having some funs with uh, Mr. Peanut. So uh, thank you, Dan, for doing that, but let's dive right into the, uh, uh, the marijuana talk here if we can. And, and, you know, here's just a great example, I think, of the government uh, and, and its, 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 its dysfunctional taken approach to marijuana. And, you know, last week we kind of went off on it a little bit, maybe on Ted Cruz and some other people for, you know, for being kind of stupid about it. So so let's dive in here and, and talk a little bit for a moment about the um, what's going on, the, the latest news out of uh, with the DEA and the Health and Human Services, right? We talked about how uh, previously uh, that Health and Human Services is recommending that uh, marijuana be rescheduled from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3. Everybody's patting themselves on the back for that because, look, we'll avoid 280E. We will um, get banking services. Won't all of that be a great thing? And we've already, we've already spent time talking about why, no, it's not going to really be a great thing. And in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of uh, some of the more sophisticated people in the industry, it's a classic bait and switch. Uh, marijuana will still be illegal um, unless it is specifically prescribed by a doctor. Now, you understand right now, for medical patients, doctors are not prescribing marijuana. No doctor prescribes marijuana. What doctors do under these state laws is they write a recommendation, a recommendation that based on the uh, person's uh, symptoms that they report, that those symptoms fall within the scope of uh, conditions that qualify you to get a medical card in a particular state. So they're basically verifying if somebody has one of these conditions and in doing so they are quote unquote recommending that uh, the use of medical cannabis might be a good thing. Uh, Schedule three doctors are prescribing, they're pulling out their pads and they're writing prescriptions for medicines that are on schedule three, schedule two and schedule one. And we, we, so we talked about this. Does this mean that dispensaries now have to have licensed pharmacists? Or will you even be allowed to own a dispensary if you're not a licensed pharmacist? I'm sure that there's a whole uh, organization of licensed pharmacists out there right now who are licking their chops and thinking this may be the best thing that ever happened. With all due respect to them, that's great. And if I'm really going to get a drug that requires that type of specialty and expertise, by all means, I'm all for using a licensed pharmacist, but this is using marijuana. We don't need a licensed pharmacist to sell us marijuana any more than we need a licensed pharmacist to sell us cigarettes or uh, alcohol or caffeine uh, or any of those other kind of substances that we all use freely in this country, even though we know that they are far more dangerous than marijuana and they don't come close to matching marijuana in terms of medical efficacy and everything that else goes along with it. So uh, the article that we're looking at today from our friends over at MJ Biz, shout out to them also for providing us with wonderful uh, marijuana content and a quick reminder to everybody that the uh, big MJ Biz uh, annual conference in Las Vegas is just around the corner. If you haven't made your reservations yet uh, to get out there, now is the time to do it. You get a chance to meet everybody, really see what's going on, and uh, just get a true feel for the marijuana market. If you're involved in the industry, it's kind of a must 
be at event. And um, it's really stood the test of time over all these years. While other conferences have kind of come and gone, MJ Biz uh, is still the gold standard, I think, for people. If you can only go to one conference a year, that's the one you want to go to. But we thank them uh, for that and, and for keeping us up to speed on uh, uh, everything that's happening news-wise in the, uh, in the marijuana world. So let's listen to this. It says that the DEA confirmed to Congress in 2020 that it is bound by law to defer to the Department of Health and Human Services on matters of science and health. Uh, but don't forget, we talked last week uh, that uh, 35 years ago, there was a recommendation to reschedule marijuana, and uh, the DEA said, no, we ain't going to do that. So apparently they're bound by law when they want to be, and they're not bound by law uh, when they don't want to be. Um, so, you know, we're already looking at something here that's, uh, that, that, that's problematic. So, you know, I, I'm not really sure uh, what everybody is talking about here. Um, you know, this is part of the ongoing federal review of marijuana's legal status that, that President Biden launched last October. The DEA is now tasked re with reviewing how a new classification affects questions of law and policy, um, including U.S. obligations under international drug control treaties, and on and on and on. So, yes, we know that it would have major implications for the cannabis industry because 280 would no longer apply. That only applies to Schedule 1 and Schedule 2. Um, it, it might although not for sure, remove barriers to federal employment, public housing, immigration visas, firearms ownership, and, and, and all the rest of that. However, Schedule Three drugs are legal available only with a doctor's prescription and only after a rigorous FDA approval process. Folks, maybe 30 years ago, 35 years ago, when this was first suggested that might have been a good move to make but now it is not a good move to make it is a bullshit move to make and it's a oh look folks we're going to give you something without really giving you something it's still illegal under federal law marijuana should not be illegal marijuana should be available everywhere not only with a doctor's prescription if he comes schedule three are you going to be able to walk into an adult use dispensary and buy marijuana you don't have a doctor's prescription to do it Unless they're going to start writing exceptions, I don't know how that can be. And if they're going to write exceptions, then why the hell are they keeping it scheduled that way anyway? So, yes, this is a, a pet peeve of mine, but most of these issues are because ultimately they're just based on being stupid. Government being stupid, government being scared to act, government uh, just being frozen in place, nobody really willing to take the next step forward and really kind of make this thing a reality, uh, just truly legal marijuana. They did it with hemp, finally, right? They got to that point. Nobody says, well, we're going to put hemp on Schedule 3 or Schedule 4 or Schedule 5. Why? Because it would have been stupid. This is stupid. So while everybody over at Health and Human Services and DEA are patting themselves on their back for being uh, so modern and, and forward-thinking with all of this, remind them that 35 years ago, they had the opportunity to do it, and they blew it because they thought they knew better, even though they didn't. And now that they have an opportunity to do it again, they know that they should do it, but they still think they know better, and they still think that Schedule 3 is the way to go. They're morons. They're idiots. This is just a waste of everybody's time. It's just them trying to dig up some good publicity for themselves and, you know, uh, make them look better. But it's stupid. And here's why it's stupid, folks, because the very next article that we're going to in MJ Biz points out the overwhelming stupidity and hypocrisy of all of this, right? Notice that the Health and Human Services is not saying that marijuana should just be descheduled. Why? Because it's not harmful, because we know that it has tremendous medical benefits, because I've been reading off articles week after week, whether it's resulting in lower health care premiums, whether it's resulting in people having a, a better quality of life, veterans uh, have 
all across the board said how it's so much better than the opioids they take. It, it helps them mentally. It helps them physically. It helps them every possible way under the sun. You know, we still have people pushing back. If the DEA and the Health and Human Services would just come out and say, forget it. We're taking it off all the schedules. We're making it legal, but they don't. They play this game. So what happens? Well, let's look at this. 14 Republican federal lawmakers are voicing their opposition to a key federal agency's recommendation that marijuana be rescheduled, right? We're not talking about taking it off. We're rescheduling it. So they all jump in. They all do their thing. They wrote a letter uh, to, to the DEA chief Ann Milgram, uh, eight Republican senators, six GOP reps uh, declared that the uh, Department of Health and Human Services recommendation to move marijuana from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3 of the Controlled Substance Act is part of an irresponsible pro-pot agenda and urged that marijuana remain among the list of the most dangerous drugs. Okay, so let's just start off by saying is we don't even have to know who these people are. These people are stupid morons, and I'm sorry my wife gets mad when I call people that, but I just don't know what else to call somebody who sits there and says, oh, all these other articles that are out there, nope, we're going to ignore those because we think we know better. We think we know the answer. We think we've got this right, right? So this, of course, is being led by uh, uh, James Lankford of Oklahoma and uh, Senator from Oklahoma and Texas GOP Rep Pete Sessions. Uh, and Lankford and Sessions are already on the list of whack jobs who will tell you that Biden didn't win the election, who will tell you that COVID wasn't real, who will tell you all these kind of things. And now they're going to come back. Surprise, surprise. Current research, science, and trends support the case that marijuana should remain a Schedule 1 drug. Why? Well, let's see what they say. 30% of cannabis users have marijuana use disorder. That's bullshit. That's just such bullshit on so many levels. They have nothing to cite to that. They have nothing to prove that. This is just... 30% of users have marijuana use disorder. What about all the people that are alcoholics, raging alcoholics out there that are killing themselves, killing people on the road? Marijuana use disorder is a nonsense term that you come up with and you invent when you're trying to demonstrate, oh, that this is a dangerous drug. Are there people who shouldn't smoke marijuana? Yes, there are. There are people who shouldn't dr uh, drink alcohol. There are people who shouldn't use caffeine. There are people who shouldn't do a lot of things. There's wonderful medicines out there. I myself am allergic to a, a number of um, uh, medicines out there. And it doesn't matter though when if if you can't take a particular medicine you switch over to another medicine and 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 you do it that way you don't say to everybody else in the world well uh this medicine doesn't work for me so therefore we shouldn't let it work for you this is 30 percent cannabis use disorder okay great thanks um you know please tell us when the um uh you know 1930s uh frame of reference here in reefer madness is over uh, and we can all go home right modern day marijuana is three times stronger than it was 25 years ago leading to a higher rate of addiction nobody gets addicted to marijuana there is not a physical addiction that develops there are people who become dependent upon marijuana just like there are people who are dependent every day on taking psychotropic drugs or having their morning cup of coffee because without caffeine they cannot start their day a dependence is different than an addiction and there are so many substances out there, both um, pharmaceutical and regular, that people have um, uh, a dependency on, but don't have an addiction. So again, you know, you're citing statistics, and we've gone through these studies, but these people don't care. No marijuana treatments have been approved by the FDA. Folks, 
what are you looking at? What are you seeing? How many articles have we read about people who are helped by marijuana? It gets them off of addictive drugs. It helps uh, uh, vets get over PTSD. It helps for people who are uh, having depression episodes. It helps for people uh, who, who have bad appetites because they're sick and they uh, they don't have an appetite because of the meds they're on and everything. And now they're going to come out and say, no marijuana treatments have been approved by the FDA. Why? Because you can't even test it in this country. You people are morons. So who are this? It's all Almost, we don't even have to read the list. You can almost imagine who's on this list along with Langford and Sessions. Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. Surprise, surprise. She may be one of the dumbest human beings out there, but we don't have time to get into it. Ted Budd from North Carolina. Ha ha, that's funny, Bud, but North Carolina. Tom Cotton, this man is just a walking disaster who still wants to walk around and still thinks that Hillary Clinton, you know, uh, should be prosecuted for Benghazi or whatever. He He's just one of these guys who will tell you that, yep, Joe Biden committed crimes. I don't know what the crimes are, but I know he committed crimes. Tom Get high and get over it. Mike Crapo from Idaho, we've read about him and his involvement on the Senate Banking Committee and stuff. Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma. Hey, Mark Wayne, why don't you wake up to the fact that your state has one of the largest cannabis markets in the country right now and go out there and tell us, please, how many of them are all uh, being carted off with marijuana use disorder um, and, and all these other things you're talking about. Senator James Risch, not as well known, but from Idaho. That's all we need to know. Senator Michael Rounds from South Dakota. South Dakota says it all. Senator Robert Adderholt from Alabama. Right, Alabama is the state that told us even when the Supreme Court says we have to add a second voting district that's predominantly black, we know better, so we're going to do it our way, and we're not going to follow, right? A state that basically tells the Supreme Court of the United States to fuck off on instructions on how to drop their voting maps, and one of their representatives, surprise, surprise, is out here carping on the dangers of marijuana and why it should remain on Schedule 1. Earl Buddy Carter from Georgia, right? We got that nickname going. It's a whole Georgia thing. Yeah. Andy Briggs from Arizona. Andy Biggs, excuse me. Nobody knows the difference with him because he's another election denier uh, and another crazy person out there. Chuck Edwards from North Carolina. Hal Rogers from Kentucky. Who are these people? You might want to ask, why the hell are they saying this? Why are they doing this? Because these are all extreme people. These are all people who take extreme positions, who think they know best, who think they know the way to run the country. And instead of fucking worrying about everybody else's, why don't you worry about your own stuff? Marsha Blackburn was the one who got all excited about trying to ask somebody to define what a woman was uh, when she, you know, she was doing her whole thing about transgender, right? She's from the state uh, that, that ruled out all sorts of stuff that, you know, that, that, that is uh, trans related, that is gay related, drag shows, drag shows for children. Nope, these are the worst things in the world. They're, they're going to ruin us. They take books out of libraries. These people want us to all be stupid. They want us to buy into this stupid way of life. Anytime you have a group that says that the, uh, the, the educated people are the enemy, you know you're dealing with a problem. So here's a perfect example. These people are all going to tell us that they know better, that they know that we should not be allowed to smoke marijuana while they all go back to their states and sit around and drink their bourbon and drink their whiskey and drink their shit and people dying in uh, uh, alcohol-related car accidents and kids die from alcohol poisoning in schools and on and on and on. But nope, we're going to take the time and we're going to focus on marijuana and we're going to say that Health and Human Services doesn't know what the hell it's talking about. And even though they come out and say that it should be rescheduled, we say no. Well, how about if Health and Human Services comes out and just says, you know what, you people are all morons. This does not belong on any schedule at all. We're taking it off the schedule. We're not going to, by putting it on schedule three, they had just a sense of the fact that, yeah, it needs to be controlled a little bit, that it gives these guys a platform to get up and say all of their mind numbingly brain dead statements about this. And 
as a government as a whole, we have to be better than this. We have to know that just become some some you know some weirdos who you know never inhaled or whatever they want to talk about and think that they're being out there and telling us the way that the world should work that they have no idea what they're talking about and we have to move past them now you'll notice that one name that's not on that list uh, who often comes up in these types of situations is lauren bobert our good friend from colorado now in miss bobert's case there's probably a good reason why she's not on this list because anybody who's been following the news knows that she went out to see uh, a live performance a stage performance of beetlejuice the old uh, uh movie starring Michael Keaton from way back in the day and now it's a, a musical and I, I don't know if it if it's good or not but she went with her husband or some man to see it and of course uh, right in the middle of the performance she was asked to leave and why was she asked to leave because she was being loud and she was being obnoxious and we all say yeah so what that's the way she is anyway but she also got kicked out for vaping now interesting thing about this she didn't come out and say hey I'm from Colorado. In Colorado, you know, marijuana is legal. We use marijuana in Colorado. I'm just vaping. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, no. She denied she was vaping. I wasn't vaping. I would never do that. I'm being an apologist for this. I don't vape. Well, guess what? There was a security camera, and she sure as hell was vaping. And then her response was, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry for what? Sorry that you lied to us. Sorry that you were vaping. Okay, look, I understand that if you go into a regular movie theater or regular uh, uh, theater these days, that's not necessarily the place to smoke. And especially if they have rules that say no smoking, that's fine. But how about instead of being all apologetic about it, you say, I made a mistake because I was vaping in a place where I shouldn't have been vaping. I'm not apologizing for vaping. I'm apologizing for the place where I was vaping, but she can't even do that. And so it all just becomes a big, you know, clusterfuck of people saying, oh, well, you know, look at this again, you know, bad use of cannabis in a, in a situation. Hey, Lauren, if that's the way it's going to be, do us a favor. Don't try and be hip and get high. Just stand off to the side, but come on guys, come on all of you, you know, just insane, you know, hardcore right-wing Republicans who anything that the administration says you're going to disagree with, you don't get to disagree with this when well, well, well over the majority of adult Americans today, not only say they approve of legal marijuana, they've tried legal marijuana. And when you get to that point, you cannot criminalize something that so many people do just because that's the way it was in the good old days. And that's the way we're going to keep it now. And don't think for a minute that some of these people also don't have racial animus in mind, because as we saw when we talked about the history of, of, of marijuana, keeping marijuana illegal is a great way to help keep control of certain groups of people when we're sure not what else to do. Well, we know they're going to be smoking marijuana, so we'll just go in and bust their ass for that. So uh, uh, all of you 14 whose names we just read and we won't read again because, quite frankly, you don't really deserve the attention, do us all a clue and just please get the hell out of the way and let this all go down the way it should so uh, that people can uh, relax and enjoy what it is that they like to do and we don't have to worry uh, about the government telling us uh, any more about what we can or cannot do. So I'm going to get off my soapbox here and uh, we'll move on. Um, but I just, I can't tell you, I'm sure it comes through loud and clear how frustrating this is to see people saying stupid things. They don't know what they're talking about. They're mimicking lines from Reefer Madness from a long, long time ago. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, if you'd worry about real problems in this country and, you know, not about owning the libs or, um, you know, any of this other stuff where you think you know best, uh, the world might be a much better place. And, and, and let's just start with this and see if, if we can't get there. Um, 
Okay, so having said all of that, uh, we're getting to the end of our show here. Nothing like a good rant to carry out for those last 15 or 20 minutes, and it feels good to get it off my chest. Um, so we are going to wrap things up here in just a second. Um, thank you for, for listening today, and um, hope you will be back next week. Again, we're going to have uh, Jamie Humiston on to tell us um, all about uh, uh, his wonderful experience uh, at uh, Borderland uh, this past weekend. Uh, hopefully, we'll be getting some more information soon about Fish Fest that we can share with everybody. Uh, these uh, TTB shows with Warren and with uh, Trey and Nora Jones are going to be coming down the pipe, and we'll be able to talk about those and all sorts of other good stuff. So at any rate, uh, I hope that uh, your day is as beautiful as mine is here in lovely St. Louis. And uh, before we hop in the car to head back to Chicago, we will be stepping outside to enjoy the nice weather and some of the wonderful product uh, that can now be found in Missouri. As I say, uh, I'm not often proud to say I'm from Missouri, but when it comes to their marijuana program, by God, I sure am because they've done a job that should be the model for the rest of this country in terms of how to successfully roll out and run a program. Um, and a lot of states, including Illinois, uh, could really learn a lesson from them and, and, and hopefully they will. So, um, we're going to say goodbye in a day of great jams. We're going to leave uh, September 18th, 1990 at Madison Square Garden with the encore from that night, knocking on heaven's door, a, a tune uh, that many of us love, kind of made its debut with Jerry on the Run for the Roses album uh, that, that, that came out a number of years ago, uh, I think in the early 1980s. I believe it was his last uh, solo album. And uh, he's played it in concert a lot. It typically comes as an, in as an encore um, but one of the reasons why I'm playing it tonight is because uh, in this whole uh, period of, of jamming, and you'll hear at the beginning, again, we're not really focusing on the singing. On top of everything else for the encore, Bruce Hornsby steps away from his uh, grand piano and picks up the accordion. It's a beautiful thing. Enjoy uh, knocking on heaven's door. Thank you all for listening. Uh, stay safe this week and enjoy your cannabis responsibly. Thank you, everyone. Mm -hmm. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi and I'm the founder and host of Chicks podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. 
I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.